Hi, I'm Justin Hopkins. And I'm Richard Reinhardt. And we want to thank you for taking the time to join us for this time of study as we look to see what the Spirit has to say about Himself in the Scriptures. to the Spirit according to the Word as we continue our study of what the Spirit says about Himself in the New Testament. Last week we took a look at the one occasion Spirit uh, manifested Himself physically and the fact that the Spirit demands our respect and attention and the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. So if you didn't get a chance to listen to that, I would encourage you to go back and do that. But uh, if you didn't hear that, you can still hear this episode okay. All right, so this week we're going to look at the fact that the Spirit speaks with authority, but that He can be resisted. And so the first place that we're going to go is the Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28, uh, verse 19. Of course, verse 18, Jesus came and spake unto His apostles, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth. And one thing that's important to remember about this authority is Jesus says, all authority is given to me. In the beginning of time, Jesus didn't need anybody to give him authority. He was God. He had it. But because he emptied himself, because he laid that down, and ultimately because he went to the cross and is now forever associated with sinful man, he can't go back. Uh, and so now the authority that he has is the authority that has been given to him by the Father, but not authority that is intrinsically his own. That's a substantial shift, isn't it? It, it is. And to think that he did that all because he loved us and wanted to make a way for us to have hope. Yeah, you know, I, I saw a meme the other day that said, uh, worthy is the Lamb, but he thought that we were worth it. A lot of truth there. Powerful. Oh. Okay, so he says, based on that authority, by the way, uh, he was standing on earth. He claimed all authority in heaven. Now he's enthroned in heaven. Does he still have all authority on earth? It was given to him, wasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so therefore, based on that authority, he says, verse 19, go and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Now, so we're, we're to teach, baptize, teach. And that this baptizing is to be done in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Now, what does that phrase mean, in the name? Well, by the authority of. Right, that's, that's exactly it. I mean, we all understand when the cop says, stop, in the name of the law. We understand that He's telling you to stop, and you better stop, because unlike other people telling you to stop, he's wearing a badge. And he's telling you by the authority that the law gives me, I'm commanding you to stop. And it has that weight behind it. And so this baptism that we're told to do, we're not just going around dunking people. 
And we're not doing it just because we feel like it. Uh, we're doing it because that's the authority given by the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. That's the command that's given by the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And so we see that His authority is involved in the very thing that makes us Christians. So from the very beginning, we have to acknowledge the authority of the Spirit as we are baptized into Christ. Look with me, if you would, at Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 26. Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 26. And here again, uh, Paul says, Be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needs. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Uh, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you, with all malice, and be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. And a, a lot of commands that Paul here, Paul says here, basically he says, don't do the bad stuff, do the good stuff. Don't have a bad attitude, have a good attitude. And verse 30, uh, part of the appeal that he makes for us to do that is the Holy Spirit, uh, that when we choose to do the bad things, or we don't choose to do the good things, that we are causing him grief. Now, one kind of interesting note here, translation-wise in verse 30, the word the does occur before Holy Spirit. The King James translators capitalize spirit, but not holy. What do the New King James translators do? Holy is capitalized and spirit is capitalized. Interesting. So here's here's another one of those situations where it seems like the King James translators maybe weren't sure. Is this the Holy Spirit? I don't know. But I don't know what other spirit this would be. The word, you know, it's, it's kind of interesting. But again, this is a choice the translators make. Uh, the New King James translators were convinced this is the Holy Spirit. Uh, the King James translators seem to be riding the fence here. <laughs> but yeah, so... All of these commands, Jesus reminds us, or Paul uh, reminds us, uh, that we need to be doing these things because that's what the Holy Spirit wants us to be doing. These are the things that he revealed that we should be doing, right? How can we grieve the Holy Spirit if the Holy Spirit has no authority? That's absolutely right. And how can we grieve the Holy Spirit if the Holy Spirit is not a person? Now, there are some who will teach that the Holy Spirit is is not uh, an identity at all, that he's the power of God. He's like electricity. Well, have you ever grieved your electricity? I mean, after that freeze a few weeks ago, I grieved over my electric bill, but... <laughs> and you might grieve your electric company if you don't pay your bill. Yeah, <laughs> but the electricity never gets grieved. It's just, it's, it's a thing. But the Holy Spirit can be grieved, and he is grieved because... He's told us what we need to be doing, and we're not doing that. He's not happy. So don't do that. Uh, moving on to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 
And this is a, a little bit of a, a shorter text. Would you mind there reading verses 18 through 20? In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Okay. So here again in verse 19, uh, the word the does occur in the original text. The King James translators have capitalized the word spirit. Do not quench the spirit. Uh, what do the New King James translators do? Spirit is capitalized. Yeah, and, and so here again, uh, this is the third person of the Godhead. And it's interesting, he has authority and he demands our, our respect. Uh, as we saw last week, but we can, if we want to, ignore him. It's a bad idea, uh, but we can. Paul says don't do that. Um, you know, this word quench uh, carries the idea of extinguishing, dampening, uh, or thwarting. Um, you know, so we can... Uh, suppress the influence that the Holy Spirit has on our lives by ignoring the things he told us to do. And the things that he's told us to do have weight and have authority. And Paul says, you need to pay attention to those things. What are your thoughts there, brother? You know, verse 20, do not despise prophecies. Uh, of course, that's a reference back to the Old Testament, correct? Um, yeah, and, and so it's kind of interesting. When you, when you look at this particular passage, there are some who will say, well, don't quench the Spirit. Uh, that means, you know, if you uh, are discounting or discrediting uh, miracles, uh, that that's, that's quenching the Spirit. And, and some will even go so far to invoke uh, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit that Jesus brought up uh, when he was casting out demons. And the Pharisees said, oh, well, uh, he's doing that by the power of the devil, and say, well, that if you say that these miracles that are working, that we're, when we're speaking in tongues and being slain in the Spirit and, and all of these things, that, that if you say that that's not really miracles, that that's not the work of the Holy Spirit, that you're blaspheming the Holy Spirit, and you're, you're quenching the Spirit. Is that what this is talking about? Well, of course, I, I asked that question about <laughs> verse 20. Because if, if if one was to despise those Old Testament prophecies that pointed right towards Jesus, then wouldn't you be quenching the Spirit? That's exactly right. And, and verses 21 and 22, by the way, uh, are significant in that regard. Pay attention to the Old Testament prophecies, verse 20. Verse 21, prove all things. How do you prove all things? Test it with scripture. Yeah, you gotta look it up in the book. That's the only way that we can prove these things is seeing does it agree with what's in the scriptures. Then he says, hold fast that which is good. So if you can prove it in the scriptures, it's good. Hang on to it. But verse 22, abstain from every form of evil. If you can't prove it in the scripture, then it must not be good. Therefore, it's evil. And so he says, don't discount, don't discredit the things that have been revealed by the prophets. Verse 20, use those to prove all things. 
Uh, and certainly that would uh, be, you know, I mean, so many times, you know, people blame their decisions on, on the Spirit. And, you know, well, I just feel like the Spirit's leading me to do this or, uh, you know, the Spirit has, has laid this on my heart and, and, and you don't want to quench the Spirit. Don't, don't, don't despise this prophesying. Well, how do I know that what you're saying is really from the Holy Spirit? You got to make sure it lines up with God's word. That's that's this, this book is what we know came from the Spirit. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, and so here's the thing, right? If it lines up with God's word, then it's already revealed in God's word, right? Right. So why not just go with God's word? Exactly. And if it, if it doesn't line up in God's word, if you can't prove it from God's word, then it's not the Holy Spirit. Well, you know, what about when you have two people that are convinced in their mind that the Holy Spirit told them to do something, but those two things contradict one another? Happens all the time. And I mean, how do you iron that out? Well, neither one of them got their message from the Holy Spirit. They had some other feeling that gave them that message. Yeah, that's that, that's exactly right. You know, the, uh, the, the, the Mormons will appeal to the Holy Spirit uh, and, and say, you know, that you can, you know, just, 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 just say a prayer. And the Holy Spirit will make you feel in your heart that you'll know that this is the truth. But at the same time, you look at some of the charismatic movements and, and, and the Pentecostals. They'll say basically the same thing, that, that you can know that this is true because we've got the Holy Spirit. Well, do both the Mormons and the Pentecostals have the Holy Spirit? They can't have. They're diametrically opposed to one another, and both of them would call the other a heretic. So how do you know which spirit's holy, which spirit's right, or if either of them's right? You've got to look it up in the book. So at the end of the day, when we look at that phrase, do not quench the spirit, well, when we ignore what's in God's word, that's when we're quenching the spirit. Absolutely, yeah. If you leave your Bible closed, gathering dust on a shelf, you're quenching the spirit. If you're spending time in daily Bible study and striving to follow it as much as possible, you are less likely to do that. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Uh, again, uh, if you've got any thoughts, if you've got any comments on that, let us know. I know that that is another hot-button text. We're going to be getting into more of those as we go through the New Testament. Uh, look at Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. And there's actually three passages here in Revelation that we're going to look at. Uh, beginning in chapter 1, verse 4, says, John to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace from him which is and which was and which is to come, and from the seven spirits which are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us, and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and has made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And so it's interesting right here. John evokes all three persons of the Godhead. Uh, grace unto you and peace from him which is, which was, and which is to come. 
That's going to be God the Father. And verse 5, he says, from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, all of these things. That's Jesus Christ. And then you have the seven spirits which are before his throne. Now, this is plural, seven spirits. The King James translators capitalize the word spirits. How about the New King James? New King James capitalizes spirits. Yeah, so you have the number seven, which represents completeness and perfection. That's the number that's most often associated with God. And so here you have uh, these seven spirits sandwiched in between the eternal God in verse 4 and Jesus Christ in verse 5. Uh, that association uh, and that placement would lead you, and the number seven here would all lead you to believe that this is the Holy Spirit, which is complete, he is perfect, and he is in the presence of God. Uh, we see this appear again in chapter 4 and verse 5. Revelation chapter 4, here we get a glimpse into the throne room of God. Verse 5, it says, Out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices, and there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And again, the word spirits in the King James is capitalized. Same in the New King James. Now, so here, uh, so chapter 1, you have the seven spirits which are before the throne. Chapter 4, these are the seven spirits of God, and they are represented by seven lamps of fire, which uh, calls to mind Acts chapter 2 a little bit, doesn't it? <laughs> You know, the cloven tongues of fire that came on the apostles as they were given the miraculous abilities there. Uh, and, of course, fire brings light. Uh, and, and so there you have uh, these seven spirits, the Holy Spirit there before the throne of God. And we see this repeated one more time, chapter 5 and verse 6. It says, I beheld and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. And here again, the word spirits is capitalized by the King James. David the New King James. Yeah, so here um, we have this picture of Jesus Christ. Now granted, uh, this is, remember the book of Revelation, which verse 1 of the book, uh, tells us that these things are sent and signified. That is, this is a symbolic book. Uh, and because we're told this is a symbolic book, uh, the normal rules of Bible interpretation get turned on their head, right? Normally, you understand everything to be literal unless it creates a contradiction or it creates an absurdity or it says this is symbolic language here. You know, when... Jesus calls Herod a fox. Is Herod really a fox? No. But he's wily, squirrely like a fox. Right? Uh, and so because of that, we know, okay, well, Jesus is speaking literally, but that right there is symbolic. Well, in the book of Revelation, John says in verse 1, this is a symbolic book. And so we turn that on its head, and we understand everything to be symbolic, not literal, unless that creates a contradiction or it creates an absurdity, or it says specifically, this is literal. Uh, and so here in verse 6, where we see this, this lamb that had been slain, this lamb that has seven horns, this lamb 
that has seven eyes. Is that literal? Symbolic. It's symbolic. Of course, we have the lamb that had been slain. That's Jesus Christ, the lamb of God, the one who was killed for us, and yet he's standing there. And he has uh, seven, or seven horns. Again, we see the number seven, completeness, perfection, a number that's associated with God. Uh, and, and horns, of course, are power and authority. And you have these seven eyes. What do eyes do? See. <laughs> yeah. Eyes. Except for mine. <laughs> well, you're wearing glasses. <laughs> yeah, I mean, eyes see. So he's got seven eyes. Again, complete perfection. He has... Perfect sight. He can. Wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so he can see everything, and he can see perfectly. Uh, and 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 that this vision, he says, is the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. And so here we see that the Holy Spirit sees everything that goes on on the earth, and that it is through the Holy Spirit that Jesus sees everything that goes on. On the earth. Is Jesus literally a lamb in heaven with seven eyes and seven horns? No. But he is literally the one who was killed for us. And he is there in heaven. And he does have authority. He said it in Matthew chapter 28. And he sees everything because the Holy Spirit shows it to him. And so there it is. The seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. And the Spirit has that authority and he sees everything that is going on. And so we must not ignore what he has to say, uh, and we must not grieve him, uh, but rather we are obedient to the gospel based on that authority. Thoughts there? I think you covered it. Okay, one more thought here, and that is the idea that the Spirit can be resisted. And we see two examples of this, in the book of Acts, the first of these is in Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5, of course, at the end of Acts chapter 4, we're introduced to the person of Barnabas, this very generous Christian, uh, this very generous Levite who became a Christian, and he sold land and gave the money to support the needy in the church. And then you have Ananias and Sapphira who wanted the gusto and the glory that Barnabas had, but they didn't want to pay the price. Uh, and so they came up with this scheme that they were going to sell their land and they were going to keep part of the price, but they were going to bring some of the money to the apostles and say, this is all that we got for our land. And isn't this amazing? And it's a funny thing, right? So, so they do this, verse 3. Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? And again, verse 9, because uh, later his wife Sapphira comes in and Peter says, Hey, Sapphira, uh, is this how much y'all got for the land? She's like, Yeah, why? And she says, Well, <laughs> verse 9, How is it that y'all have agreed together to tempt the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of them which have buried your husband are at the door, and they shall carry you out. Uh, and of course, both Ananias and Sapphira fell down dead there and it's interesting right we see this at the beginning of the covenant of Moses uh, with Nadab and Abihu uh, they are struck dead uh, showing that God said what he meant and he meant what he said we see it uh, as Israel moves into Jerusalem with Uzzah touching the ark he's struck down dead 
Because in the promised land too, God said what he meant. He meant what he said. And we see it now at the beginning of the Christian age. We have Ananias and Sapphira. And struck down dead. Why? God said what he meant. He meant what he said. Now it's interesting here. Who was it that Ananias and Sapphira were, were lying to? They lied to the Spirit. Well, who do they think they were lying to? Well, they were talking to Peter, right? But so, so Peter, as an apostle, who we understand from chapter 2, received miraculous abilities uh, from the Holy Spirit, uh, he says, look, you're not lying to me. You're lying to the Holy Spirit. And uh, again, verse 9, you are testing the Holy Spirit. By the way, he passed the test. Ananias and Sapphira failed. Okay, so verse 4 says they lied to God. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And and, and 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 so here, by the way, verse 4 tells us the Holy Spirit is God. It, in verse 3 says they lied to the Holy Spirit. So yeah, that, that connection puts those together. So they lied to the Holy Spirit and to God. But you know, the interesting thing is that that land was theirs. They could have just been honest saying, hey, here's a portion of the proceeds that we made on this land. Yeah, you know, I mean, they, they it was theirs. And Peter makes that point. He says, look, while it was yours, wasn't it yours? Couldn't you have done what you wanted to? I mean, if you wanted to give, you know, a little bit to the church, great. And, you know, you use the rest to go out and buy a bass boat. Cool. It's yours. But you came up with this lie. That's silly. You know, they, they lied to the Holy Spirit. They tested the Holy Spirit, but they're not going to pull the wool over God's eyes. They're not going to pull the wool over the Spirit's eyes. But those are things, and think about that for us today. We can fool ourselves. We can lie to ourselves about what the Holy Spirit has revealed in the Scriptures and what He asks of us. We can lie to ourselves about how we're living, but we can't lie to the Holy Spirit because He sees it all. Okay, one more thought. Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7, and of course this is Stephen's uh, the first sermon of Stephen's we have recorded. Also, it's his last sermon. Uh, he's there in the Sanhedrin council, and he kind of walks uh, the Sanhedrin through a brief history of Israel, how God called Abraham and gave him the promised land, but he didn't receive the land, but he got the covenant of circumcision, and then they moved down into Egypt, and they were slaves, but God sent Moses, and Moses delivered them, and the people rejected Moses, uh, and you know they, they worshipped idols in the wilderness and made a golden calf, and, 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 and all of this, and then even after they came into the promised land, they killed the prophets and even some of the priests. <clears throat> and then he says, verse 51, Y'all stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you do always resist the Holy Ghost, as your fathers did, so do ye. And, and he goes on, he says, you know, your fathers killed the prophets, and now y'all killed Jesus, and you're fixing to kill me. And, and that's exactly what they do, by the way. And it's kind of interesting. You see the maturity. Here is the, the Sanhedrin, the highest court in the land, this august body. I mean, picture, you know, the, the Supreme Court justices in their robes there on national TV. Uh, and verse 57, they cried with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him in one accord. And they, it says that they gnashed on him with their teeth. So literally, 
they started yelling, na, 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 and they put their fingers in their ears and they started biting him. Wow. That's the picture of the highest court in the land. They were... They were all caught up in their own authority that they forgot the authority that God has and the Holy Spirit. Yeah, that's exactly right. Which takes us back to our verse, verse 51. <laughs> uh, so the word the does occur here. Uh, the King James translators capitalize holy and ghost or spirit. The Holy Ghost. New King James does the same thing. Holy and spirit are capitalized. Yeah, and, and so it's interesting, right? As, as Stephen's talking, he's talking about Y'all ignored the prophets. Y'all killed the prophets. Y'all ignored Jesus. Y'all killed Jesus. Y'all are ignoring me, and you're fixing to kill me. What are you doing? You're resisting the Holy Spirit. How are they doing that? Rejecting the message. Yeah. <laughs> kind of takes us back to what we looked at last week, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and, and so, so just like they resisted the Holy Spirit by rejecting the message, that he had revealed. We can do that today, but just like it was then, it's probably not a good idea. All right, any other thoughts there? I think we covered it. Okay, so again, if you have any comments, if you have any questions, I know we touched on some touchy things. Uh, if you think we're wrong about something, that's okay. Uh, let's have a friendly conversation about it. And, you know, let's come together to the knowledge of the truth. And Lord willing, then next week we will start taking a look at uh, the Spirit revealing God's Word in the New Testament. Until next time, may God bless you. Amen.